This is Briar Klopp, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Ag Services in Greenbush, Minnesota. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network. CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Randy Conan, along with Whitney Pittman and Sierra Doctor. Beneficial rains fell on parts of Paraguay and southern Brazil yesterday, and some of that was heavy rain. World Weather Incorporated says two locations east and west of the Paraguay-Rio Grande do Sul border reported over six and a half inches of rain. Up to two inches of rain was reported across the region, and rain is also expected to increase in far southern Brazil and extend northward into much of the remainder of Brazil beginning February 26th. Rains, though, are expected to be less frequent and lighter in the northern parts of Brazil. And welcome. Rains fell across several locations in Argentina Thursday, with southern and eastern Buenos Aires receiving 20th to uh, an inch 50. Several other locations reported trace to one-inch amounts. World Weather Incorporated says Argentina's forecast will be drier and cooler through next Friday, with only scattered light showers expected. Temperatures are expected to top out in the mid and upper 70s to the lower 80s much of next week. For now, grain trade continues to focus on South American weather and its impact on the crop. North Star Commodity Chief Analyst Mark Schultz expects South American weather to be less of a focus going forward. You can have a lateness. You're not going to hurt the bean yield anymore. The crop is what it is. It's far enough along. It's just not going to matter. So now they'll they'll get the crop off, and that uh, finishes off. It's the corn, uh, and whether you want to get it planted, and it would appear as though you're going to have more corn planted outside the optimum window. Then in the the theory behind all this is that eventually the wet season will end, and it will go into a drier season. Schultz says the bigger question for Brazil's second season corn crop is how soon the dry season starts. Then the wet season lasts through into uh, early to middle of May. You end up with a pretty good crop. If it uh, cuts off a little bit earlier, late April and early May, you're going to end up with a poor corn crop. Uh, so that's basically what it, it boils down to. So the jury's still out in an extended outlook uh, on what would happen as far as yields are concerned. AgWatch Market Advisors President Dewey Strickler says grain traders are positioning ahead of the holiday weekend. Just seeing a little bit of a short covering like in corn. We've been down a couple of days, a little bit uh, short uh, covering on that. Uh, the bean market, uh, of course, it took a uh, hit over the past couple of days, and I think you're just seeing a little bit of bounce uh, from there, and pretty well wheat's just going along for the ride. Uh, really not a lot of news. And Strickler uh, is seeing technical trade in the livestock markets. I do know that uh, when we look at uh, the, the livestock numbers, of course, they've been declining here too, but things that I'm concerned about here is that we've seen an increase in the producer price index, so inflation is here, and we're going to be looking at subsequent e- increases uh, in interest uh, rates, and uh, credit card debt is a record high. So ultimately, I think we're going to be looking at this. It's going to have a very much of an impact here on consumer demand and meats, and especially beef in general. Chinese state media is reporting a renewed focus on self-sufficiency. The rural policy blueprint calls for the commercialization of biotech corn and soybeans. It also seeks to increase production of soybeans, canola, and wheat, and reduce the amount of soybean meal in swine and poultry rations. 
The Conservation Reserve Program will start receiving applications on February 27th with the hopes to reach 27 million acre cap set for this year. North Dakota Farm Service Agency Executive Director Marcy Spenningson says the general sign-up encompasses both new and expiring CRP offers. Well, it is our general sign-up period for the Conservation Reserve Program, or CRP, and it starts February 27th and it will be going until April 7th. And, you know, as of January of 2023, there are actually 8.4 million acres enrolled in general CRP. So it's a, it's a very popular program. Uh, it's probably the largest private lands conservation program in the United States is the CRP program. So we are encouraging people, if they are interested in offering their land for CRP, Svenningsen says with high commodity prices, there's still value in putting land that's more marginal into CRP. In 2021, the Farm Service Agency introduced some improvements to the program, which included higher rental payments and more incentivized environmental practices. So there are several different programs or different things that they can do that increase the value of that CRP. And once they offer their land and indicate what enhancements they're willing to make, and if that is accepted, we even provide cost share to help them provide those or put those incentives in place. What we're talking about is probably some marginal land that, you know, maybe you're not willing to look at all those high input costs that producers are going to have this year. Maybe CRP is a viable option for that. Legislation that would ban foreign ownership of real property in North Dakota passed the North Dakota House Ag Committee unanimously. Meanwhile, discussion continues in the North Dakota House Ag Committee on the corporate farming law. During today's meeting, North Dakota Farmers Union Government Relations Director Matt Perdue commented on House Bill 1371, explaining that amendments to the bill are still necessary. Our, our policy in action opposes changing the corporate farming law. I mean, it has for, for generations. Um, uh, you know, over the last few weeks, had a lot of tough conversations, tough conversations with our members, tough conversations with uh, members of the legislature. Um, we realize this is a divisive issue. And so last week, um, our Board of Governors, which is our uh, county presidents and our Board of Directors, uh, they voted to, to move forward and try to find a path forward that would bring agriculture together and allow us to move forward in, in growing our livestock sector and creating new opportunities for family farmers and ranchers. Committee Chair Paul Thomas says his preference is to move on the bill and allow the Senate to further update the bill after the crossover break. I think it's very clear that the organization of North Dakota Farmers Union is very committed to making this work. Right now, I'm thinking for moving this forward, we may be best suited with moving the amendments as they are. We give enough time for Mr. Bielke and the Ag Commissioner and North Dakota Farmers Union to work on those constitutional language issues, those other issues in wording, and fix that over on the Senate side. This is the Red River Farm Network. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. For the first time in history, annual E15 sales in Minnesota topped the 100 million gallon threshold in 2022. Nearly 105.5 million gallons were sold last year. That represents a 21% increase from the previous record of 87 million gallons in 2021. 
Elanco Animal Health Beef Cattle Technical Consultant Frank White says there's been a new focus on gut health in livestock and a live yeast may be the answer to promoting gut health. We've found that the gut has a major component of the immune system. It's really kind of the first layer of immune protection. And so the immune system of the gut is very important for the overall health of that animal. At Elanco, we have a product called Perturnative which is a live yeast, and it's, a, it's not just a yeast, it's a Saccharomyces, but it's also a strain specific, and that's important because, you know, it's kind of like cattle. We have bovine, and then we have Angus, and we have Holsteins, and they're for different purposes. And this yeast uh, is called Bilardi's strain, and the Bilardi strain really likes the small intestine, and that's where all the action's at for gut health. White says cattle with a healthy gut are less prone to sickness and infections. It has several different roles in gut health or can help in several different ways. It can literally bind the, the bad bugs and the bacteria and get them out, take them out the back end. So that's one role. It can bind toxins that bacteria produce and, and prevent them from having a negative impact. But really it also helps with the gut integrity. So, you know, we found that gut and the, the lining of the gut's important. During times of stress, that gut lining seems to get weak, if you will, and that's, that allows bacteria to enter the system. So having a healthy gut keeps bugs out of the system, and so that's an important first line of defense. Steiner Consulting Group Chief Economist Alton Kalo says beef cow slaughter started strong in January, but the pace has slowed down. Some of that has to do with a slowdown in, uh, in beef cow slaughter, which is running you know, probably about double digits at this point compared to a year ago. And uh, but fed cattle slaughter is down as well. I'm looking at the uh, estimates for fed cattle slaughter last week. Uh, they were down about 5.7% oh, or so from a year ago. And uh, I'm thinking for this week we're also going to be down somewhere around 4 to 4.5% from last year. So both fed cattle and cow slaughter are down uh, compared to a year ago in the last couple of weeks. The slowdown in processing, though, won't be seen on the consumer level just yet. I don't know about the grocery case because there's some, I mean, it takes some time for, uh, you know, the, the shortfall in supply to impact what the consumer sees. But what we're seeing at the wholesale level uh, is a, a pretty significant increase, especially this, you know, the last few days. We've seen the choice beef cutout, which is an index of wholesale beef prices for choice beef, increase about $10 per hundredweight in just seven days. I think it's a function of the slowdown in slaughter, but I think it's also a function of the decline that we normally start to see at this time of year for weights. USDA has announced an investment of $63 million in high-speed internet access. That includes a $10 million grant for Paul Bunyan Rural Telephone Cooperative in Minnesota. The funds will be used for a fiber-to-premises network in Hubbard, Itasca, and St. Louis counties. The USDA has projected that a global economic slowdown combined with inflation and higher interest rates will erode U.S. food and agriculture exports by 12 percent through 2026. Exports would decline across the board with grains and soybeans hit the hardest, but a rebound is expected to begin in 2027. USDA says imports would also be affected by the worldwide slowdown, but would recover by the end of the decade. Rail backlog status report for the week of ending February 10th showed average BNSF dwell times increasing slightly, up to 29 hours. Unfilled orders are 1 to 10 days past due, increase from 693 to over 1,400, while orders that are 11 days or more past due decreased to 3,000. 
Canadian Pacific Rail dwell times increase slightly to 53 hours. Orders are 1 to 10 days past due. Dwell times uh, fell to 35 hours. Orders that are 11 or more days past due fell to 35 orders. This is the Red River Farm Network. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. Let's catch up with Ag Week reporter Ann Bailey. And what do you have for us in the cover of Ag Week? The cover is about federal crop insurance, which turns 85 this year. The Crop Insurance Act was passed in 1938. And as we know, it's an important part of the Farm Bill, and we wanted to take a look at it at this milestone. I talked to a longtime insurer, uh, Howard Olson, who's with Ag Country Farm Credit Services and has been there since 1988 and is a an expert in crop insurance and government relations. I talked to a farmer who has used crop insurance and to Doug Hagel, who was the regional director for crop insurance in Billings and also included a lot of history of the program, how it got started, why it got started, and what it's doing now. Everyone agrees that it is essential to farm prosperity, or should we say just keeping farmers on the farm, and in the end, food security. I guess there's been a lot of changes over the years as well, right? It has been greatly revised. For the first years until 1980, in fact, it was an experiment, and then the next Crop Insurance Act was passed, and during the early 90s, there were many revisions. It's all been to make it more relevant to farmers and to make sure that it's cost-effective for taxpayers. Yeah, and we can see it, too. It's, it's become such a vital part of that farm safety net. Yes, especially uh, revenue insurance part of it because farmers can plan ahead and they know that they'll be covered if they have a crop loss but still can take advantage of good forward pricing opportunities. Sure. Well, Ann, sounds interesting. Looking forward to reading about it next week's Ag Week. And let's check markets before we leave here. We're seeing wheat in Minneapolis up a fraction. Uh, we're two higher in Kansas, in Chicago, nine higher in Kansas City. Corn's one to two higher, and soybeans trading a couple of pennies higher here as well. Live cattle markets uh, are up 45 to 60. Feeder cattle markets turning mixed here now, and lean hog markets uh, 30 to 50 lower. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. <laughs>